Hi and welcome to the Next Conference podcast. I'm your host, Alex Jacoby. This week's episode features Brennan Jacoby's keynote from the Next Conference 2018. Thank you so much for being here, everyone. Um, I'll just say a little bit more about where I'm coming from and uh, why uh, I was asked to do this session, what to expect. I've already had quite a few people say, oh, I'm not quite sure what to expect from this time talking about trust. Um, and just right off the bat to say, uh, I don't know if you would expect to do, if, if you hear you're coming to a session on trust and that it is interactive, um, let me put you at ease and say that there are no trust falls, there's no re uh, sort of role playing, um, none of that. What I'd like to do is share some uh, research on trust, um, raise some key issues that I think we're all, we all know is happening but share some perspectives on it, and then throughout that, um, invite you to discuss a couple key questions with each other, with the people sat near you, and we'll open that up into a larger discussion as well. So over the next sort of very brief 90 minutes that we have together, um, I think we'll get closer to saying, so what, not just what should we expect in this part of our life, um, but what is the world that we want to create? What is the future that we want to have a hand in, in building where trust is concerned? And let me just back up again a little bit more and say my background is in philosophy. So um, I did my PhD on trust and betrayal, and I work a lot with companies now helping them navigate the sort of complex issues that they're facing. So it may not just be trust, but trust is certainly one of those. And I think this is an issue that is very complex, very complicated. At the same time, it's quite straightforward and kind of simple. Everyone I meet says, oh, I've got a story about trust for you, or oh, that's kind of interesting, it has something to say. So, it's an interesting topic, I think, because on the one hand, it is central to everything going on right now in the digital space, the tech space, but not only that. And so I think as we're talking about the future of trust, we'll be talking not just about tech, not just about digital, but society um, and the central role, of course, that digital is playing in that. Um, so I'll say a bit more about where we're headed in a couple minutes, but just to motivate wh what is happening, I think the relationship that is currently going on between trust and uh, tech is complicated. Um, if you have a look at some of the uh, studies that are being done, you might know about the Edelman Trust Barometer. This is one of the leading sources of information on sort of global levels of trust. Um, Edelman is a PR, one of the leading PR sort of marketing companies in the world. And they, for the last 18 years, have been doing this study where they ask people things like, how much do you trust uh, a politician to tell the truth? How much do you trust a CEO to do the right thing? And those sorts of things. And then they aggregate it all together and they come out with features around saying, well, this is how much, uh, how much trust there is in NGOs, in business, in government, and, um, and in media. And these are the kinds of findings they have. Sorry, it's, it's quite small print. But if you look at the, the countries in green, those are what they call distrusters. So they say that when they go out and ask uh, a high number of people in these countries, how much do you trust media, politicians, these sorts of things, the bulk of those people, the majority of them, come back and say, I don't trust them at all. People in that sort of gray, neutral space, it's less clear. And then people in blue, those countries, so currently uh, 2018 on the left there, China, Indonesia, India, and the UAE, they are identified as trusters. Quite an interesting thing that Edelman does then is contrast general public with what they call the sort of informed public. 
And what that is supposed to mean, I think, is people that are in the public, but are um, the kind of person that would say, yes, I read the newspaper all the time, and I like to think that I'm sort of switched on about things, right? And it's interesting, if you notice there, trust goes up. Um, we might talk about why that could be. That's kind of interesting. But at this point, I just want to say, one of the leading claims that came out in this research, in uh, the 2018 version of this research, and also, which is a, a, a claim that is all over the space whenever you hear about trust and tech, is that we are in a crisis of trust, right? Um, in general, you don't have to go far before you get the message that trust is not doing well. Right? And that's because of these kinds of figures. They say, well, look, there's a lot of distrust in the world, and that must mean that trust is not doing well. And if we want to create a sustainable future for trust, then we need to increase the trust. We need to build trust, right? And this is, this is the thinking that we often encounter. We need to build trust, and we need to find ways of doing that. Um, it's kind of like um, what some... Let me come back to this in just a moment. It's kind of like what Confucius said. He said, a state cannot survive without the confidence of its people. Right? And that's not just true of states. You can say the same thing about businesses, societies, whatever. It's, you know, so confidence, and if trust is the same thing as confidence, maybe it's not. If trust is like confidence, then we, we need it. So going back, if, if distrust is prevalent and you need trust for societies to thrive, then it would seem that if distrust is high, we're in a crisis of trust. Um, and just for the, the media space, this is quite an interesting uh, finding that came out of Edelman, and just still as the, in the way of sort of um, taxiing, really, before we fully take off and say where we're headed. This is one of the findings that came out of the 2018 report. Um, what they found was they said that trust in journalism was um, up, in fact. It had been really, really low with everything talking in 2016, 17 around uh, fake news and post-truth and all this stuff. But what was down was trust in platforms. So, apparently, people around the world are trusting journalists, but they're distrusting the um, avenues through which they access the work of those journalists. And when you dig a bit deeper into the research, what you find is it's not just that people are distrusting uh, newspaper uh, companies. What they specifically mean there is Facebook, Twitter, sort of social media platforms. So, if you take all this together, it would seem that distrust is up. There's a few places where it's improving, but where it's really not doing well is in the digital space. So it would seem that we're in a crisis of trust, and so it might, one way we could approach this session is to say, okay, so there's a crisis of trust. What do we do to regain trust in this space? What's the right way forward? Um, but I want to add one more thing into that before I say really where I think we should be going, because I think it's slightly different. And there's another piece of research I want to share with you. I'm not just going to be sharing research, by the way, the whole time. We'll get on to um, more critical things. But um, let's see if this is working. Maybe I need to move over here. Oh, yep, there we go. So this is, a piece of, this is from a piece of work uh, by a group of researchers at Tufts University um, in the States. And what they found is, uh, just like Edelman says, people are distrusting especially platforms and tech, and yet they're not behaving as if, you, as if they distrust, right? So let me just read this out. Around the world, people are both increasingly dependent on and distrustful of digital technology, and yet they don't behave as if they mistrust technology. 
Instead, people are using technological tools more intensively in all aspects of daily life. Oftentimes in the studies you read, the books about trust, what, there's an assumption that's running in the background of all these things, and that is that if you distrust, you will not uh, use a service. So if you distrust a platform, you'll stop, you know, you'll close your account. And you know, sometimes we have seen some of that happening. But it's, this is suggesting that's not always the case. And in fact, as I'll suggest in a few minutes, it's of course possible to use something without trusting its source. Um, it's possible to rely on it without trusting. And so I don't know what you think about what I've shared with you already. Um, in the first few minutes here, it's feeling pretty complicated to me. <laughs> um, on the one hand, we have a lot of distrust. Um, we have some trust going in some places. And yet we've got a lot of behavior that looks fairly trusting. You know, as much as people talk about Facebook, Twitter, all these sort of platforms being um, perhaps lower in integrity than we thought, we're still all on them for the most part. Maybe that's going to change. Maybe that's part of the future of trust we need to change. But for now, it's happening. So I want to say, what's happening here? And I actually think the way to understand this uh, is to go into understanding trust itself. I don't think that the answer is in the um, coding of tech. I don't think the answer is in the statistics. I think the answer, and you might expect me to say this, but I think the answer is in the philosophy. <laughs> um, what I mean by that is I think if we dive into the meaning of trust and how it works, the nature of trust, then we will understand it a bit better and be able to say, oh, actually, what's going on here is, a very, is something quite clear. And actually, if we want to build a future of trust, a future for trust, a future for all of us where trust is concerned, that is positive, then because we understand trust, we know what we should be doing or what we could do. Um, so what I'm going to suggest we do is um, spend just the first few minutes looking at what I'm calling the philosophy of trust. That's not just the sort of theory of trust. Um, it's a bit more than that. I mean, if you, if you go back to the root words of philosophy, the etymology of it, it just means the love of wisdom, right? Philo means love, Sophia is wisdom. So if we're doing philosophy, we should be pursuing wisdom. So what I mean by the philosophy of trust is not just the theory of trust, but the pursuit of wise trust, well-placed trust, appropriate trust. That's it. So we'll start there, and then we'll go on to talking about a threat that I think is core to the crisis of trust, and which is actually very analog. I think it's very uh, human. Um, and then we'll end by saying, so what is this new world that I think we can create and that we want to create? Um, I've got a couple ideas about steps that companies can take to do that, and I you know, often work with clients on, on doing those steps. But because this is an interactive thing and because I'm just curious about all of you, um, it's not a lecture, thankfully. I'll be introducing some ideas, but throughout, uh, I'd also like to invite you to consider a few questions and, and share your own views about the world that we want to make where trust is concerned. Um, so I see some nods, which is nice. So that's good, thank you. Um, yeah, with that in mind, let me just ask you to, to get started with that, because I've shared some things around trust, uh, this, this seemingly uh, the received view that distrust is high, but, and yet people behave as if it's not. Um, but I'd be curious to know your experience of trust in the space in which you work, not just necessarily in the businesses, sort of in the actual sort of personal relationships, but where the uh, phenomenon of distrust, mistrust, 
where you feel it, where it's coming in. And so could I invite you just to turn to someone sitting next to you, say hello if you haven't already, and then we'll just spend two, two or three minutes here um, discuss this question. What is your experience of the current relationship between digital and trust? Would you be in the camp with Edelman saying, oh yeah, this is a, there is a crisis and people are not trusting uh, digital and that's a bad thing or that's a good thing, I don't know. Um, or would you say, no, actually, I think we have a lot of trust going on here. Um, so is that, does that sound all right? Some nods, okay, good. The nods have it. So I, I'd love to know what your experience is because uh, you know, there's a lot of different parts of the industry, parts of life represented here, different geography. Um, so what do you think is the relationship currently between trust and this space? Um, what kinds of things were you sharing? Can I ask? Um, from what I experienced, it's kind of a, a generation conflict. Like when mm. I talk to my parents, um, my dad is a software engineer and he's like into this, all this stuff. But when I told him that I have online banking on my phone, he almost like threw my phone to the ground and said, are, are you kidding me? <laughs> and for me, it's kind of normal because I don't know, I grew up with this digital uh, yeah, behavior and mm. for me, it's totally normal to have all my stuff on my phone. Um, and also with WhatsApp, for example, like to chat with my friends, my parents always say, please don't send us any confidential like banking information mm -hmm. or something. And I don't even worry about it. And when I see log in with Facebook profile, I just, I just click it because it's so simple. Yeah. So I think, I mean, maybe it's, I'm too carefree with that, but, um, I think it's, it's a lot about the generation that you grew up yeah. with because when you're digital savvy, you have maybe more trust and when you used to do some some things that you always do, you maybe you don't worry yeah. enough. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think this is starting to get to one side of the coin of trust to say that, well, maybe trust, well, some, a lot of these conversations actually, that trust is not always best, right? So in response to studies like Edelman, uh, a lot of times we say, oh, we're in a crisis of trust. We need to rebuild trust or have more trust. It may not always be best. Um, and another layer, I think, to what you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, is that a lot of it is just what we're uh, native to. Um, there's a philosopher, she's, uh, she passed away a few years ago, named Annette Beyer, and she said that we inhabit a climate of trust like we inhabit an atmosphere. And we notice it only when it becomes scarce or polluted. And so, you know, we, we just, to go to the Tufts study point, we just use this stuff. Uh, if you ask me, I might go, oh, yeah, I guess I distrust a little bit, but I'm going to be right back on my phone doing all kinds of stuff, right? Um, and then when something happens in, in the news or something, now the, the air becomes a bit polluted and I start thinking about it. So, I mean, judging from that, one view is to say, well, if so much of the world is talking about trust, if buyer is right and we only notice trust when it becomes scarce or polluted, then that would suggest the fact that we're talking about it means something's going on, something wrong, perhaps. Maybe just one more over here. I think you had your hand up before, and then I'll move us on a bit more. Hi. Um, from my experience, I think there's an interesting uh, relationship between trust and convenience when it comes mm. to digital. Okay. So uh, when you think about the circle of trust, you give some trust and you have little information, then you give a little bit more trust. Okay. And uh, when you gain information and gather information, then the trust might become a little bit smaller if you want. Sure. But when convenience comes in, which can actually be provided by digital solutions, then the trust is being forgotten um, after a couple of years or months or a certain time, if you want. Yeah. 
and then it becomes, I think, interesting in terms of solutions. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. I think there's, you've said a lot that, that that we'll link into as well. Um, thank you so much for diving right into that question. Um, my apologies for not getting to hear from everyone. Uh, you may be thankful for that. I don't know. But in a few minutes, it'd be great to hear from a few more people as well. Um, but I, I very quickly want to get onto this idea of the philosophy of trust um, because. So far, we've been talking about trust, distrust, mistrust, but we haven't said what we actually mean by trust. And I think that is a, I'll just say, a problem in the discourse on trust at this time. We hear so much about trust. We hear that trust is down or up or whatever, all these things. But very rarely does someone say, and this is what we mean by trust. And actually, I think this is, this is one um, limitation of a lot of the research that Edelman stuff included. If you read reports, usually they will go out and ask people, how much do you trust a doctor or a politician or something? But they don't usually say, and by the way, this is what we mean by trust. So if I ask one person, do you trust a physician? Um, you might go, yes, because I think they have my best interest at heart. Um, I think they really have good integrity and a really trustworthy person. Um, and if I ask another person, do you trust Facebook? They might go, yes, I think they're really out there trying to do something good in the world and they have integrity. Um, I, uh, and another person, <laughs> I might ask the same question and they might say, yes, I trust my doctor or I trust Facebook um, because look, I'm using them all the time. I have to, right? And I think they're talking about very different things. And so pretty quickly, we need to define what we mean by trust. So let me just spend a few minutes um, getting some of that out on the table and then uh, discuss a little bit more with you. So I think the first thing that we need to say is that trust is diverse. Uh, it's incredibly diverse. We trust people face-to-face. Uh, -face. We trust there's interpersonal trust, but we also trust organizations. We trust brands. Um, it may be right to say that we trust ourselves. It may be right to say that we can trust machines, uh, non-human animals, and things like that. Um, we trust people face-to-face -face that, that we're actually face-to-face -face with. We trust people where that interaction is moderated through a piece of technology. Um, we trust people in the future. You know, all these different ways. We may trust people that we think have goodwill towards us. We may trust people that we think don't have goodwill. So it's very diverse. And because of this, I think this is why a lot of times we talk about trust just as a general kind of counting on someone else. If we trust, we are counting on or we are using uh, another service. And a lot of times, for the same reason, we think about trust as sort of confidence. I'm confident about so-and-so or something. Um, but in addition to it being diverse, it's also distinct. Um, now, I've done a little bit of editing to this picture, these pictures. But just hypothetically speaking, um, say that there is a, a leader, right? And um, so I'm an American citizen. I'm also a British citizen. I uh, now live in the UK. I'm, I'm originally from Detroit. And as an American citizen, I have to count on the president, right? Because I just don't have access to all the special information. I can't sort of be my own president. That's not how it works. So I have to rely on the president. But I would say I don't trust the president, right? So it's just that same simple example suggests that it's possible to have reliance that is not trust. Um, or another example, say that you are working with a colleague and uh, there's a lot on, so you need to sort of delegate something to them. Um, you can rely on them while still being a bit wishing you could do it yourself because you think you do a better job. Um, you know, you sort of are relying on them, but maybe not fully trusting them. 
Um, so it's possible to rely without trusting, which means that trust is both diverse but also distinct. And the thing that makes it really distinct is a special kind of vulnerability. And this, this kind of vulnerability is what I think um, is at the core of trust. It may, it's what makes trust really risky, but it's also what, make, what accounts for trust's uh, social value, what makes trust kind of a beautiful human thing. Um, to get at this, let me tell you a story about uh, this uh, philosopher, Immanuel Kant. Um, he, he was known for being very detail-oriented, right? If you know his moral philosophy, it's very rule-based and structured, um, and it's appreciated for that, for that reason all the times. But there's an old story that went that he would take walks around his, his town um, at the exact same time every day, and his neighbors would set their less reliable clocks to his very reliable walks, right? Now, let's deviate from the story a little bit and say, imagine that uh, he decides to not go for a walk one day. Uh, his neighbors don't know what time it is, and they might feel very frustrated, right? They could just say, oh, I feel let down. Um, I don't know what time it is. But would it be right for them to say, I feel betrayed? And I would say, I don't I don't think so. If they had all gotten together in a meeting like this and someone said, look, we don't know what time it is. Um, how are we going to deal with this in the village? And he puts his hand up and says, look, I take these walks every day. You can count on me. I will take these walks sort of for you so you can know what time it is. If that happened and then he slept in or chose not to walk, now I think it would make sense for people to say not just we feel let down, but we feel betrayed. You know, how could you do this to us? You, you, you let down the side of the bargain, right? And that's core to what betrayal is. It's, it's a disappointed expectation, but not just any old expectation. It's a disappointed, uh, what's called a normative expectation. Um, so the difference between a normative expectation and a predictive expectation is um, a predictive expectation is just what you predict someone else will do. Right? So, because you looked in the program and saw that this thing was starting at 3 o'clock, you, you could predict that I would be here and other people would be here, hopefully, and um, you know, if we would start at 3 o'clock. But at the same time, you might have also had a normative expectation that not just that we would start at 3, but that we ought to start at 3. Right? Um, let me put this in the sort of tech space. Uh, we've all been talking about Facebook a little bit already. Imagine that... Um, you know, because of everything that's happened in the last 12 months with Facebook, now we start to, maybe you distrust them and you start to think, okay, I, ex I predictively expect, I predict that Facebook will misuse, mishandle my information again. You have that expectation. But at the same time, you have the normative expectation that they ought not to. So at one and the same time, you think they will mishandle and they ought not to. And I think whenever a betrayal happens, Sometimes both types of expectations are violated, but you always have the normative one violated. And so I think the first thing to say about what companies can do to try to handle trust well is when you're making an apology, usually what you hear, what leaders come out and do when they apologize is they say, we're really sorry for what happened. We're taking steps to ensure that this never happens again, right? That's kind of what you hear. And that is speaking to disappointed, predictive expectations. They're saying, we are taking transparency sort of steps. We are having a lot of oversight. Uh, look, you can show, we can show you that this is never going to happen again. But in doing that, they haven't done anything to address the broken norm, the broken normative expectation, the sort of moral ought. 
And so people hear it and they might go, okay, well, I feel like I have some reason to think that won't happen again to predict it. But their anger, their resentment, and their distrust, which is closely aligned to that, is still boiling. But when you have a leader come out and say, uh, kind of like Mark Zuckerberg did, actually, um, not just, we're sorry for that, but what we did was wrong. You can, you, know, you can still be cynical and say, oh, it's just words. Um, but if, I think if you're honest, you know, there's a bit of the resentment that feels taken care of. <laughs> you know, it feels like, okay, yeah, what you did was wrong, and now take steps to make sure it doesn't happen again. You know, so you need to do both. You need to address the predictive expectation and the normative one. But the most important one is the normative one. Um, so, slight detour to talk about what's going on, but back to this idea of vulnerability. When, whenever we have trust, we have vulnerability, and not just any vulnerability. We have vulnerability to that kind of normative letdown, that betrayal. Um, and so, if, if we are actually trusting a, a platform, that means that we're saying, not just I'm going to use it, um, I'm going to use it and check up on it, but I'm vulnerable to them misusing me, mis not following the rules, and I'm going to choose that. Which makes trust quite intense, quite quickly. Um, and I think it narrows it a bit. Um, so this is what I would suggest trust is. Not just use of a platform, not just reliance, but an optimistic acceptance of that special vulnerability. So when we trust, we know that we're open to betrayal, we're vulnerable in that unique way, um, and we accept it, and we don't just accept it sort of shaking, we accept it at some level optimistically. Um, yes, I'm going to, uh, I know my, my partner could cheat on me, but I'm going to accept it, and I feel like I have good reason to accept it rather than going around checking up on them. Um, I think that's part of what it means to trust. Um, if you hang with me for just a couple more minutes, I want to put a couple more things on the table and then see what you think about all this, because I'm aware it's, it could, could be fairly contentious. Um, I'm narrowing the field of what counts as trust quite a lot. Um, and I think we need to do that, because if we go around saying, trust is this really broad thing, and we want to have a good future for trust, it's, it's hard to develop that. But if we go in saying, actually, trust is very specific, then we can say, well, where do we want that thing? Maybe we don't want it everywhere. But if we want a good future for trust, and it's a very specific, unique, kind of powerful thing, then we have some idea of where to go. So let me tell you one more thing about trust, and then I'd like to know uh, your thoughts again. Um, this is a picture of uh, four gentlemen who were arrested in Sydney, uh, Australia, in the suburb of um, uh, Darlinghurst in Sydney. And they were arrested back when mugshots were quite cool. Um, so this is their mugshot, and if you go online and search um, uh, Darlinghurst Police mugshot archives, they've got a whole collection of these things, and apparently they let the people um, stay on their street clothes and pose however they wanted to, and it's fascinating. You get, I mean, talk about, um, you know, some of the the uh, discussion of emotions earlier this morning, there's a whole range of emotions you see in people's face from like bravado, kind of like these guys, to real fear, and it's, it's fascinating. But these guys were arrested for a range of different crimes. The police were trying to get them for a long time, and they couldn't because they were sort of trusting each other not to spill the beans about where they were hiding. 
until one day that trust was broken and the police came in, arrested them, and, and took them away. Now, unless you're a huge fan of crime, we might agree that that's an inst a good instance of betrayal or that it was a good thing for that trust to be busted um, and that you know, trust is not always best. A more, you know, a more sort of timely example might be uh, whistleblowing, right? So people um, in, in companies now saying, look, this is what's really going on with people's data and the world needs to know about this. I'm going to publish this information. You could say, well, is, is that a, a betrayal? Is that a, a letdown of the employer? Maybe, but are we, do we think it's been done for a, a good cause? Probably. So um, the point is, trust is not always best. Um, if I just go back one, if this is trust, um, that's not always best. It's not always best to be optimistic. And I think to the point that was brought up here, your, your comment about um, you know, growing up with this technology, uh, and I think you suggested something like this, that, well, I just use it, but maybe that's not a good thing. You know? um, so trust is diverse, it's distinct, it involves a special kind of vulnerability, and it's not always best. If we take that in conjunction with the statistics that I shared before, then it would seem that where we're living now is a, a, a world where trust is low, where distrust is, is arguably high. But now, if trust is not always best, we could say, and that's exactly how it should be. So the question is, is it a crisis? Do we want to build trust um, generally? Do we want a world where we want to rebuild that trust? Or do we want to say, uh, you know, is, does the fact that we have distrust, does that mean we're in a crisis? Or does that mean, no, actually we have a, a healthy response happening? Um, and should we want to build trust? Or is digital the kind of space where we want to say, do you know what, there's a lot of power going on, and actually we should have a lot of checks and balances and oversight, and, uh, and that's a space where actually we, we don't really want trust, as I've explained it, we want uh, reliability and predictability and the ability to use and know what's going on, a lot of checking up. Um, I mean, I would say, you know, it's, it's, it, it may be best, I mean, it's contentious to say, but it might be best for the relationship between citizen and political leader, between citizen and president, for example, um, not to be one that's full of trust, but rather to have a lot of checks and balances and, and that sort of thing. Is digital like that as well? Or is there value for us to say, no, we have to have a, ver a lot of vulnerability still involved or we lose something. We lose something really uh, valuable and human. Um, so can I ask you uh, about this question? Do you think that we should aim for more and more and more trust and rebuilding this trust? Or do you think, no, actually, we need some kind of, we need to temper it? with something, given now that we've talked a bit more about what trust actually is? In, in fact, I think, yes, we must. Uh, not in everything. I mean, we don't need to build trust in everything digital, but as everything goes digital, we need to have things that we can trust mm. because we rely on trust. We need to have uh, a forum to interact with for Europe, a government that we trust. Mm. Uh, I think we, we need to have reference, uh, curation, things that we uh, can rely on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the most dangerous thing would be if everything goes digital, but we in general say that we cannot trust digital. Mm. 
because then we can't trust anything. Right. And if we can't trust anything, then we're all yeah, singled and, and you, know, you can divide and rule them and um, that would be the worst okay. case scenario. Let me just inject something here and then it'd be good to get, good to get a couple more hands. Um, one view, and this is I think part of what is, has been shared uh, in the last couple of minutes, is that um, regulation and trust uh, don't go together, right? And on the face of it, that's right. You, you, you can't really have trust and checking up. If, you know, if, I, um, if I say, oh, I trust a social media platform, but then I go around checking up all the time on, on everything that they're doing with my data and things, it would make sense for you to say, I don't think you really trust them, <laughs> right? So trust and checking up don't work well together. And it feels like regulation is like checking up. Transparency initiatives, these sorts of things, are like checking up. But something, and this is, this is a sort of, I think, gift of the, the philosophy of trust piece that we already did. Remember we said that, um, that trust is not just the same as uh, reliance, right? So we said that there is, there's sort of this whole class of, um, of counting on things. And then within that, there's some which is, uh, you know, which is trust and there's, and, and all of, the, this is all reliance, but some of it is trust, the trusty kind of type of reliance. In, with reliance, you can have checking up. Because I can say of the president or something else, I rely on this person, uh, but I don't trust them. I have to rely on them, so I'm going to check up. And maybe we want to say that in the digital space. But the thing that's nice about this distinction is that and it, it gives us some, theoretically at least, I'd be curious to know what you think about this in terms of practical stuff, but theoretically, it suggests a way forward. Um, so if you say, well, we can't, because we have so much regulation right now, we're not going to get trust. Fair enough. But if you said, um, let's have a lot of regulation that sort of acts like, like scaffolding, right? Uh, I'm not, don't, don't judge my drawing, please. Um, but say that this is sort of scaffolding here uh, that's, that is just sort of acting to support to support uh, the relationship that we have, right? I'll do a bit of perspective there. Okay, so in here is our relationship with the platform, whatever it might be. I don't trust them. Um, I'm checking up on them. I'm building in lots of checks and balances, lots of transparency. I'm taking power, I'm trying to power away from them. They are maybe giving up some power to have all the regulation, government stepping in, all these sorts of things. Um, that means that in that moment, that's not a relationship of trust. But within that really structured, um, uh, scaffolded relationship, I can start to see parts of that platform's real character. If the regulation is um, what Onora O'Neill uh, has called uh, intelligent, uh, intelligent checking up, intelligent transparency, she, she talks about. Onora O'Neill is a, uh, she's a British philosopher and she writes a lot about trust and transparency in the space of like healthcare and medical ethics. And she has um, this idea of intelligent um, transparency Sorry, I'm just not going to take the time to write clearly. Um, which is to say that if you have transparency, which provides structure and regulation, but leaves a little bit of wiggle room for the trusted party or would-be trusted party to act and use their agency and autonomy, then you can see, okay, I'm sort of being 
safe. I'm being made safe by the structure, but they have some wiggle room. And in that wiggle room, I see their sort of true character. And then if I like what I see and I start to go, okay, they're not just treating me well because of the scaffolding and they're going to be sued or whatever. I actually think there's some sort of kernel of integrity going on. Then I can start to sort of break down the scaffolding and take it away. And that's risky because it's now taken away. But we can start to sort of uh, let their moral muscles be regained. So one, one suggestion is that... Um, at the moment, maybe we are at the point of re regulation and we want that, but if we value, and I think this is a big if, if we value actual trust still coming in, not, not just reliance based on securities, then one way to do it is to say, yes, let's have regulation, but let's leave enough flex for people in the space to still act. I don't know. Let me get a couple more things out on the table. Um, there's a real threat which I think is not just, the, not just distrust, but which is uh, something more analog, as I've said. Um, and to get at this, I want to tell you a very brief story about Detroit. Um, this is, you know, before I said this is where I'm from, um, I wasn't alive at this time. This is a photo from 1967 in the summer. Um, my mother was living in Detroit at that time, and she told me about this summer. Apparently, the summer of 1967 was incredibly hot, and whenever you hear stories about the, the, uh, the racially fueled riots that happened that summer, people always talk about the heat as if that was part of the the story. But anyway, um, in the summer of 1967, um, riots broke out. Let me make sure I get the, the numbers right. Um, 43 people were killed, 342 injured, nearly 1,400 buildings had been burned, and 7,000 National Guard uh, soldiers were brought in, right? The way that I always heard the story growing up was that before that summer, um, my mother and other children would play out in the street all hours of the day, whatever. After that summer, they didn't do that, and the doors were always locked. Before that, they lived in the city, and they never, never locked their doors. Um, now, I mean, just to think about that now, you know, that's, that's something. Um, but after that, they did. And let me read you another a, a quote, actually. This is from a, um, an economist at Stanford University who talks about Detroit, the riots, and what's happened more recently in Detroit, and as you all know, I'm sure the city went bankrupt um, a couple years ago. It's, it's on the way up now. Um, there's some really positive things happening there, but it's, it's still quite a rough place. And this is how, um, this is Thomas Sowell. This is what he said. It was the riot which marked the beginning of the decline of Detroit to its current state of despair. Detroit's population today is only half of what it once was, and its most productive people have been the ones who, mo who, who moved away, who fled. The reason I'm telling you about Detroit is I think that locking the doors, moving away, was a response to felt vulnerability. I think at the time, the people would have felt that the vulnerability they experienced was vulnerability to being killed, being, you know, having their house burned, those, these sorts of things, being robbed. Um, actually, to, if we take Seoul's claim, and that, you know, that was, a, that was a maybe real, real threat, but there was a deeper threat for the city of Detroit, for the economy of the state, um, that wasn't just about the automotive industry moving away and things. It was, it was about people um, locking the doors, sort of putting up walls, moving away, and, and sort of aiming for security. Um, and I think we're in danger of the same thing happening throughout our societies today. 
uh, where trust is concerned. So what I want to say is that, um, let me move back over here so the clicker works, that distrust is not the enemy. I mean, th this is already, we've already talked about this, that distrust is, is uh, appropriate, can be appropriate, if a lack of trustworthiness is present, if violations of trust have happened. It's what we do with it that matters. If in the face of this, we bring out uh, ways of effectively locking the doors, moving away, and choosing to, um, to close up rather than uh, stay engaged with the companies, the people that we feel vulnerable about, then we might as well just say, yeah, there's no, there's no hope for trust. We can, we can minimize vulnerability. We can try to gain a lot of security. Um, but we've stopped talking, you know, we've moved away. And I think that's what we see. So there's, with more transparency, more regulation, what ends up happening is we have a response which is collateral mistrust, not just distrust, but sort of misplaced distrust. Um, you know, you hear one scandal and then you go, ooh, well maybe, maybe that's happening over here as well. So one person legitimately betrays you and you start to distrust all people that are sort of in that same industry or of that same gender or whatever it might be. Um, there's an increase in oversight, so we want everyone to have to check up. Um, and we know that checking up doesn't really go hand in hand with trust. And there's reduction in agency, so we have less wiggle room for agents to, to act. Um, and all of that is okay if, we, if our main concern is security. And we sh I'm, you know, I'm not saying, oh, security doesn't matter. Um, but I think if we're thinking about the future of trust, if we're thinking about what kind of world we want to be creating, we need to hold the value of security in hand with also the implications for what it does when we um, lock the doors effectively. Um, and so, you know, control may reduce vulnerability, but it can't give you trust. And so maybe that's why I asked you before, do we, do we want trust? Maybe we're okay with that. You know, maybe we... Um, you know, maybe we go, well, no, this is a space where we, we, we don't, or, or just at least right now, we don't feel ready for trust. We just need to get some security going on. And, I, you know, I'm sympathetic to that. But I think that there's a real threat um, of us going in a direction where we have more and more checking up, more and more, uh, more and more regulation, which does have value, but to the point of... Um, creating great reliance, but not a lot of trust. Um, let me just get one, one more thing out on the table, um, and then we can use the last sort of nice healthy 15 minutes for a discussion about where we go. Because um, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of people that would like to join in at this point. Um, this is very brief. There's only a couple things I, uh, I want to suggest and see what you think about. And they're equally contentious. Um, I think we, we do need more trustworthiness. So these are moves that I think uh, we can do as, as businesses, as individuals. Um, we can try to encourage through our societies. Um, the first one is to cultivate trustworthiness. Yes, of course. If we want, if we want trust and well-placed trust, we need to have trustworthiness. And you hear about this all the time, and that is right. Um, we want to have competent leaders, uh, committed businesses, committed to our well-being, we want to have good integrity, good character. The problem is that's often where we stop. Usually the views are saying that that is 
that's that's all we need to do. Just get the other per, the other people to be trustworthy. But actually, there's this other side uh, on that is our own responsibility as trusters, and we need to manage our own expectations. What's what's realistic to expect of those businesses that we're counting on? Um, we need to have courageous conversations about our capacity for control. I think that's a lot of what I've been saying today. That I that's the sort of Detroit point. Um, can we talk about how? Actually, when, I'm, when we feel vulnerable, the response is, uh, you know, it's very uncomfortable and to try to avoid that. Now, maybe, maybe if the relationship is with a, a political leader or digital space where it's not very intimate, maybe that's right and we just want to reduce that vulnerability, but maybe not. And then lastly, critically reflect on operative assumptions. What I mean there is what are the, the worldviews that are running in the background of our responses to trust? I think there's a few going on. One is when we put up regulation, when we think that actually, if given, given a little bit more rope, the companies are just going to misuse our data, then that's, that may be true, but that's taking for granted one view of humanity, that people, um, if allowed to do so, will, will misuse information and do something, do something wrong. And maybe we go, well, that's not an assumption, that's accurate, look at behavioral economics, look at what people do. You know? um, but I don't know, it, it, where it begins, it, it matters where we start, is what I'm trying to say with our worldview. And to help point this out, I wanna just say a little bit about, uh, I wanna borrow some thinking from the literature on sustainability. Um, maybe you've read this book, Cradle to Cradle. It was, it's, it's getting on in years now, but it still has some really interesting insights. Um, Brongart and McDonough are two sustainability uh, thinkers, and they found that running in the background of the traditional um, eco-efficiency model, the sort of reduce, reuse, recycle model, was an assumption about humanity that effectively to be sustainable, you just need to try to get people to do less harm. You know, they were sort of saying, you can't, you can't have people sort of produce positive things uh, ecologically. You just need to try to manage their behavior so that they're doing as little harm as possible. They're always going to do harm, but just try to get as little as possible. And they said, as long as human beings are regarded as bad, then zero is a good goal. But to be less bad is to accept things as they are, to believe that poorly designed, dishonorable, destructive systems are the best that humans can do. And this is the ultimate failure of the be less bad approach, a failure of the imagination. I think something similar could be said about trust, that if we think that the way forward is just to uh, add more and more control, um, maybe practically that seems really, really wise. But should we at least, I would suggest we should at least critically reflect on the assumptions that are motivating that. Is there a, a sort of a, a be less bad view that humans are regarded as, as sort of just give them room and they'll do something wrong? Or what would happen if we started with a different assumption? Um, and I'm probably in that camp. I'm probably someone that would go, gosh, I don't think that left themselves people just always do great things and are you know, always lovely. Um, so I'm confronted by this very quote to say, oh, well, what are my assumptions about people? Um, so the last question that I want to put to us is, is there a different kind of future that we would like to imagine? Because I think the course that we're headed on right now, the future of trust, is one with not very much authentic trust. We may have a lot of interaction, a lot of collaboration counting on, but not a lot of real trust um, in this space. Certainly, maybe at home, you know, partners, family members, but if we want something else, we may have to start with a different uh, assumption. 
Um, in the interest of time, I'm going to draw us to a close right there. Um, I'll just say I would love to uh, keep in touch if you'd like to um, follow up on any of these points. All the information is there. Um, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sort of really being here and sharing your views, getting, uh, getting involved. Um, I really appreciate it. I hope that where we've gone today uh, has not just been at, at least intellectually stimulating, but not just that, uh, we'll do some, some real work. I think it's a, it's a huge topic and one that is, it would be wrong to try to say, here are just sort of three magic bullets. Just do this and trust will be great. No, it's, it's more relational than that. And that means it's messy, but that also makes it really valuable. So thank you so much. And I'll look forward to seeing you around the conference. Thank you. This was Brennan Jacoby's keynote from the next conference 2018. If you liked this episode as much as we did, go to iTunes, rate us with five stars and leave a review. We're happy to hear from you.